Hello dear listeners, my name is Jenan Buzajic and in this episode of the Novine BA podcast, we are having a guest from the UK government. Her name is uh, Eleanor Stewart and she is the Data Protection Officer and Head of Transparency at the UK Foreign Office. Uh, Eleanor, hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. To start with the unfortunate or usual first question during 2020, uh, how do you cope with the work from home? Uh, well, it's an adjustment. I think we're getting quite used to it. Uh, it's quite nice not having to think about what you're wearing every morning or wearing heeled shoes. Uh, um, but it would be nice to get out and see some people in real life and visit places. And um, that's begun to be a bit tiresome now, I think. I'm looking forward to getting to be able to travel again next year. Yeah, we, we feel the same. So. Do you have any information that you could share with us uh, about how pandemic affects the productivity and efficiency of the UK's public service? So uh, we first went into uh, a lockdown in March. Um, and whilst there has always been, or in recent years, there's been more of a tradition of working from home. So remote working has become a thing, and particularly in my own department of the foreign office there has been the ability and we've worked quite hard to create a network you could use anywhere globally um, there were a lot of services that needed to ramp up to provide the equipment and the infrastructure so I think there was an initial flurry and some challenges but I think since probably the middle of April everything's settled down and actually productivity has been pretty good and pretty amazing I think the bigger concern has been the effect on people's public mental health um, and the impact of not seeing people or being trapped in the houses, particularly in spaces where people haven't got the room to, to, to separate from children who've been off school uh, and all of that sort of problem. But the, the, in terms of public services, they haven't taken a hit. And I think there's a general consensus they've stood up pretty well to the impacts of remote working and working from home. And they have remained pretty efficient um, with the um, with a couple of notable exceptions. Generally, public services have worked really well. I think I think we should be pretty proud of what we've achieved as public servants in the UK. Um, and let's see where we get to in 2021. I think the other problem we've had is uh, setting the boundary between work life and home life and the expectation that you're always on the computer. That's been more of a the biggest challenge, I think, but probably improved the efficiency and the productivity, I would say. Thank you, Eleanor. If I may add, probably we will not have this podcast recording in, in different circumstances. I don't know, maybe. No, <laughs> but... no, no, we wouldn't. And this is the great thing. There's been all sorts of innovations and different things and new ways of doing things, which I think has been fabulous, which would have taken a long time to happen if we hadn't had it. It's just the, the restrictions are also quite frustrating and the virus is horrible. Exactly. We actually met two weeks ago during the virtual conference about the open government data in BIH that held uh, December 2nd this year. Uh, so you presented three central uh, United Kingdoms and transparency objectives uh, on that conference. Those are like more transparent government, improved public services, and of course, to release new economic and social value with those uh, open data. Can you give us, uh, in your opinion, the most obvious or the most valuable examples of open data use for, for each of these objectives in the UK, for the UK citizens? So um, the first one, remind me what the what order they were in. So the first one was... In transparency, government. Government accountability. 
So I'd say the most important areas that we have opened up data around to improve accountability are about spending and who is accountable for that spending. So actually that would arguably that's two separate types of data. It's what 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 money gets spent to where and who is responsible for making the decisions for spending that money, which links to the who is the civil service or the public sector and who is accountable for the decisions that are made. So they are the two things that I think have improved accountability for government quite massively in the UK. In terms of my second, the second driver, which is improving the efficiency of public services, I think that without doubt there are two examples, but I think the one that's had the biggest noticeable difference to people's lives is opening up health data and the performance of things like hospitals or general practitioners surgeries and access to those essential health services and the quality of those which has enabled uh, data-driven decisions to be made about where you put specialist units or how you manage that on scientific breakthroughs that have affected people's health and well-being and lives. I think that's been really key. And then in terms of opening up the social and economic value of the data that that government sits on or has access to, I think the really obvious example, and I'm sure I've talked about this before in Bosnia, probably till everybody's a little bit fed up when we talk about it, is transport data, where opening up where the buses are, where the bus routes go or where the tube trains go or how efficiently the trains run and all of that data that powers these transport apps that everybody in the UK now takes for granted has really released an awful lot more money back into the economy it cost uh, I think it was about a million pounds to do and there was a study by Deloitte that said it had brought seven billion pounds back into the London economy that was just in in, in greater London under TfL so that that's released an awful lot of social and economic value back into people's existence and life in the UK because you know what you're doing you know what the transport disruptions are you can make better decisions and I think that they're the, they're the examples I would cite. Thank you Eleanor. There are obvious as you mentioned numerous benefits of open government and open public data initiatives around the globe. I would only mention that it saves a considerable amount of time for citizens for example in my case it's it's far far less time consuming for, for journalists and uh, media firms to get public data, analyze and present uh, the findings to the public. Can you give us more information on cases in the UK where open government data stimulates and empower business ideas and uh, economic development? Yes. So there are a couple of areas I would mention there. I think the first, probably the easiest one is in, there's two things. One, We've opened up companies' house so you can see what companies do and how they do things. Um, so if you've had an idea, it's quite easy to search and see if somebody else is a company registered to do that. So, so you can see what your competition is or you can understand and, and suss out and do more research about your product or whatever you're trying to do. But, but specifically, I think another area that we found is, and it was quite early on, but it was around the cost of drugs and the production of drugs which obviously big biotechs, and this is a hot topic at the moment, obviously with different vaccines and different types of drugs coming coming on stream at the moment, but it was the cost of different drugs and how people could access them and making them available and when they came out of patent and how you could generate the same reaction. And whilst that might seem very specialist, I think it has quite an important impact if you're a small company trying to, trying to develop these things. And, and some of the smaller biotech companies have done that, and I think it's helped them quite a lot. 
Thank you, Leonard. Open data implementation process has its challenges uh, from the government perspective. Uh, I would say, especially in BIH with relatively complex government structure and, and silos. Uh, that could have, I believe, a significant impact on implementation time and costs. I have two questions. Uh, what was the most challenging step in implementation step in the UK? And related to that, what cost-effective implementation steps, or just at least one, would you recommend for BIH to have more open government uh, and, and be better public service? So I think there were two challenging areas. One of them more important than challenging, but it took a while to sort out, was, was creating proper open licensing and embedding and creating an open government license for that data um, and moving away from the concept of what we had in the UK, which was Crown copyright. So you couldn't reuse, you can't reuse things that are published under Crown copyright, whereas an open government license makes anything that's released reusable and accessible. And I think that was a fundamental change and it took quite a while for us to do, but it's very important. But in terms of other challenges, I think it's setting a standard for what you mean by data. And obviously, we were doing this quite a long time ago, uh, nearly a decade ago, where technology wasn't as sophisticated. So uh, for us, it was quite challenging to set the idea that, that you could open up data, but data in a PDF, which everybody was utterly obsessed with releasing at that point in time, uh, because it couldn't be changed. And it was a definitive article because you're very difficult to crack into a PDF also then make the data in that very difficult to reuse. So setting a standard based upon um, what the, Tim Berners-Lee once articulated as a five-star linked data standard, and then explaining that across all the public sector about what actually was required to make data truly reusable or machine readable, I think uh, was one of the more challenging objectives. I think we've embedded that. I think there are various things that have helped us do that, including the development of .gov.uk, which forced a review from from older style websites but also the technology's changed and people's understanding has changed so so that's that's helped um does that answer your question was there a yes uh, regarding uk uh, and i uh, i just had additional one in that sense what so you in bosnia so in exactly bosnia i having come over and and talked to many of you for for, for quite a while now i think it's my point about standards and understanding what data you have and how to display it in different ways and make that truly usable. And if um, if government could set something like a, a methodology or a standard for what data government departments or agencies should be releasing data to, even if that was to say, in very old fashioned language, if you released everything as a CSV um, rather than a locked Excel file or a or in an open document file or a CSV, then, then that would be a massive step forward. The cost implications are not massive for government. That's actually the cost there is in training staff and understanding what you're releasing rather than needing new tech to do that. And I think that would be the the way to, to progress that. that. That would be one of the things I think you really need to do. Thank you. Uh, I totally agree with you regarding the, the, the formats of the data, of the public data. I have several very frustrating moments trying to get some data in PDF, out of PDFs. Yeah. So UK government is number one in the world when it comes to transparency and open data. Can we say it's a done job? And if not, what else could be improved to make it more accessible to the public businesses and uh, civil society? 
so no it's not a done job I think that's one of the things I I would advocate very strongly is it's never completed I think politics always plays a role in it um, and you need to be constantly watching. And I think some of the things we've seen play out in the UK and in the US and the impacts of transparency and the, the growth of fake news and the manipulation of data and facts to me, any story could always happen. But it's been very it shows the importance of, of, of having that civil society check and the need for the public to be constantly on its guard. Um, I think in the UK, it's not a done deal. We still need to move towards it. I still have conversations with people along the lines of the conversations I was having a decade ago. We can't release it because people don't understand it or it's too difficult or, oh, no, no, that might give people the wrong impression. Um, it still happens like that. And I think that's about culture and understanding. It's much harder after a decade for people not to release stuff, but they still want to try to to not release it, if that makes sense. There's still a resistance. It still comes up for different reasons, be they reputational risk or embarrassment or just they don't want to be found out about something. So no, it's never a done deal. Thank you, Lauren. So it's an ongoing process. What benefits would you emphasize valuable for businesses or the local economy from the open judicial data? Or, or can you give us one example uh, in the UK? So I think with open judicial data, I think um, it's particularly around crime statistics, it's enabled an understanding of the type of crime in different areas and what the police have been able to do um, it's also helped support the case for police. It's 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 shown, um, I think more recently, we've been able to look at in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, and it was happening in the UK before this, but you can look at, look at some of the actual social issues that racism is happening and the behaviour of different police and how much racial motivation there is behind crimes and all that sort of area we've been able to do because we have got that open data it, it's it's helped surface some of that and some of those behaviors and i think that's been really really important thank you Anna. one of the conference's recommendations on open data in bih was that uh, bosnia herzegovina should focus on solving current problems with the open data and use it as a sort of a leverage to speed up the transparency process uh, one example in BH is when owners of the insolvent company with the significant uh, debt records from one part of the state could register another company in the second part without any obstacles, even double checks or, or consequences. Can you give us one similar example where open data could prevent corruption and causing damage, obvious damage uh, to the public budgets, employees and, and, and society as a whole? So I think an example of that, um, I think I talked about it last week and I've mentioned it earlier, is around the fact that all of our companies' house data is available. And it's not just a list of the companies, it lists the directors and their own financial responsibilities. So you can see if a director has been found bankrupt anywhere, it, it, it's recorded in there and it has to be registered as part of that. And there's a system that joins that up before the data is released. It works very well. I think it's something that we were pushed in the UK very hard to do to try to drive out corruption. I think it's it's enabled us to link that data as well to the where government spend its money and who gets the government contracts. And I wouldn't claim we've done as well there, particularly in the last 12 months. But certainly we can see the flow of that money. And as people often say, if you want to understand things, you have to follow the money. Um, and, and certainly in the UK, there are some very good examples of, of how the data has helped us do that at the moment. Uh, particularly in things like the purchase of personal protective equipment or or, or or some other 
essential things that have been required in the recent past and are about to be required um, as we move into January 2021 in the UK. And our last question. So currently you are engaged in open data and, and digital engagement in the UK government. So 20 years before your current job title function didn't even exist, I suppose. So would you consider that in 20 years from now, the UK government could become fully transparent and in what function your current job could evolve in that sense? So I think that we have seen my original job title when I started working on this, just to go back 10 years, was the head of digital engagement. And that that included things like the use of social media uh, or putting government into Twitter and, and communicating in different ways. Um, and using all that kind of social media technology to improve government working inside, as well as releasing open data um, and working on it. I think we no longer talk about digital engagement, and I wonder where the word digital will fit in the future. I think it's more likely to be that you will be something, uh, the job titles will be about data and information again, and information flow um, uh, and understanding rather than stuck on the concept of digital as a channel. I think the word digital will disappear and we'll be much back into the data sort of space with job titles. So um, I have no idea, but something like um, technology and data sounds like the words that will be used rather than digital. Um, I I don't want to predict the future because that's a, I will get it wrong inevitably and I don't like getting things wrong. (laughs) I agree. I agree. But it's, it's interesting. We we will, we will see definitely. Uh, Anyway, thank you, Eleanor. Uh, It was really a pleasure having you as our guest and expert in the field uh, of government open data and transparency. Thank you, Eleanor, and have a nice day. Thank you.